Hello and welcome to Three at the Back, the football analytics podcast from OptiPro. I'm Ryan Barr and I'll be your host for this episode. Today we'll be looking at the evolution of data and analytics within professional football. OptiPro has now been in existence for five years, so we're at a stage where we can look back and forward into how this industry has evolved, progressed and what's next as well. So joining me for today's chat is Ben McGrill, head of OptiPro. Hi Ben. Hi Ryan, you okay? Not too bad, thank you. Thanks for coming on today, appreciate it. No worries. And we're joined uh, another three at the back debut, uh, Simon Ferrand. So many of you know Simon as the uh, the man responsible for the OptiPro forum and part of the OptiPro marketing as it as it founded in 2012. He's now moved on to a um, to more senior role within Perform, but it's great to have you with me today, Simon. Thank you very much for having me. I'm only slightly offended that this is what the 67th <laughs> podcast since the first time you've invited me, but you know that's fine, Ryan. Well, not this, a problem. This is one of the few ideas you you uh, came up with, is it, or or were you? Oh, I come up with every idea. Don't let Ryan right, tell you anything right. else. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. I actually put the forum in my initial job application, <laughs> delayed a year, and, and yeah. so on. So, um, yeah, to start with, Simon, could you um, introduce yourself in terms of your perform role and your initial up to pro role? Yeah, so I my role within the broader perform group now is it sounds incredibly fancy, but it's VP uh, marketing for for group and perform content. But that does mean that I still get a fairly um, hands on role with both. Opta and Opta Pro, and um, I first started with Opta back in 2012. Um, I was effectively brought in to, you know, run Opta Pro from launch. Really, if that makes sense. So the idea had already been already been had. Um, my former boss Simon Benoob and uh, John Coulson, who um, was had been at Opta for a few years at that point, uh, had conceived this idea of a sub brand subdivision of Opta, focusing primarily on the or purely on the professional game, not just in football, across rugby, cricket, and other sports as well. Um, uh, they sold that into the business successfully, and they were given the remit to go out and find someone to effectively run the day-to-day marketing elements of, of what we were going to be doing. And uh, that, I was fortunate enough that that was me. Um, I remember sitting in the first interview, um, kind of listening to them talking about what the job would entail and thinking, this you know, this could be the best job in the world. This would be amazing. So, uh, yeah, I was delighted when I, uh, when I, when I, when I got it, really. So, um, yeah, uh, I mean, as I said, that started back in 2012. Uh, I think we've come... An, an absolute million miles from there uh, at that point, which is obviously something we'll, we'll, we'll talk about um, during the course of this podcast. But uh, but yeah, yeah, exciting times. So pre twenty twelve, what did what did it look like? How were teams working with data? How did Opta interact with teams? Well, again, so this is I've got to go off my understanding of what was happening before I arrived. But um, Opta was working with teams, but on a fairly um, not in a, to any sort of great extent. At that point, Opta was recognised as being uh, a data provider for broadcast and for newspapers and, for, to an extent, websites, uh, etc. You know, there wasn't there wasn't a huge amount of buy-in from teams because they saw us as being a bit quirky, a bit kind of uh, I, I don't know, just not really kind of fitting with the kind of the serious ethos of what a team needed. It's very media led as well. Wasn't it? it was incredibly yeah. media led, and that, you know, and that's where to be. You know, that's where we've had our success. Yeah, so it's entirely understandable why. But I think John, especially um, back in his early days, you know, he'd worked in professional football previously um, and had, you know, always recognised the value of what that data could do for teams. And so, certainly for a couple of the bigger clubs, I mean, Chelsea, Man City, spring to mind. Uh, I mean, I know also, I think Fulham were one of the first, the early ones, Ben, when when you were there. But yeah. um, we're using up to data, but it was always alongside. Other providers, so a, a pro zone or, 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 or others, really, um, and I think both 
John and Simon Benoob and the rest of the Opta business recognised the fact that there was there was a huge amount of value in this data. You know, I think before that point, teams were primarily using kind of product-led packages to analyse players. So, you know, you'd go on, you'd fire up your computer program and you'd say, right, I want to see a replay of this game or compare this player to another player. And it would all be done through that package. And the value of the raw data we had of that, well, still have to this day, but the the sheer, you know, the the... the well, I use the word volume again, the sheer volume of that data from across all these different leagues, they saw an opportunity there. And so they knew what the value was. It was just a case of being able to communicate that to teams, really. So that was kind of what I was brought in to do, really, to you know start the Optopro websites, start writing blogs, start kind of curating the best of the writing. There wasn't a huge amount at that point, uh, you know, but from the very nascent community, really. Um, but what also happened, again, just prior to my arrival, was that Opta hired its first data scientist. So Sam Green, uh, who um, came in. Uh, from what I understand, they spent months trying to find the right person. Everybody they interviewed either had too much, you know, weren't able to tell a good enough story or they didn't have the necessary mathematical capabilities. And Sam was the first one that they saw, who actually combined both bits. Uh, and so he probably arrived three or four months before I did. And that's kind of when everything started to really kind of really kick off, I think. And does that marry up with, with your perception, Ben, from the practitioner side of things? Did you, you said Opta was very media-led, which which is obviously more than fair. And yeah. how did how was it seen from from professional football? How was it seen within professional football? I think, um, you know, the, the industry, when I came into it, sort of 2007, it was very video focused at that point. You know, data analytics, as we know now, obviously was was a million miles away, um, and everything was still focused around how we could support coaches and, and managers with with video. Primarily, that's what they were comfortable with, um, and you know, still very much is how things are driven uh, today. But from a data perspective, it was there to you know support here and there, you know, to answer the, the odd kind of strange question and that kind of thing. But as, as Simon said, you know, the it was very product driven. It was what you could do, and, and actually, it was very much um, game at a time. Mm. Um, it it wasn't looking at a wider project. It wasn't looking at longer term things. It was very difficult to do that because actually, we didn't have the ability to to get hold of that data. You know, yep. it was very much what you could see game by game. I mean, <laughs> my uh, my first job at Fulham when I arrived in in two thousand and ten was a uh, friend, now a good friend of mine, Andy Scolding, who's, who's gone on to work with, with England and Liverpool. Uh, the first task he gave me when I sat down uh, at Mossberg Park was to transfer from the, the, the ProZone product at that point, um, game by game, the, stat, the data onto a spreadsheet um, on a separate computer. So I had two screens and I had to go game by game and handwrite the data from... Uh, from the platform onto a spreadsheet to create a trend database. Uh, and that took me a good two weeks, I think. <laughs> um, Introduction to professional football that way. Well, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, you know, at Everton, prior to that, I'd been working mainly with the academy and it was very much sports code driven. It was about self-data collection. Um, mm. And, you know, that was <clears throat> that was kind of uh, my intro to the, to the industry. It was all about collecting tactical data and that kind of thing and then starting to do a bit more with that data to start looking at some sort of trends but it was very difficult to do that uh, even you know we're only talking 10 years ago but you know mm. at that point it was still quite difficult to do that 
you know, at Fulham working more with the first team, it was more kind of, you know, trying to build these trend databases, but it was so manually led. Uh, I'll never forgive Andy for that. Um, but, um, you know, that it was kind of at that point where we were, you know, we were probably a year into that 20, 2011. We'd had change of manager. Things were starting to change. Uh, Mark Hughes came in and Mark was a lot more kind of interested in data and and, um, and really wanted to kind of drive that forward a bit. So we started to think, what else can we do? You know, what other sources of data are there? What other ways can we get access to this data? How can we get away from some of this more manually led work to actually, you know, one of the things we always talk about when, when I talk to people about, you know, those kind of five, six years ago was that we just spent most of our time handling data. We just spent most of it transferring it from one sheet to another Excel sheet to another document and then putting it in front of coaches. When did we ever actually do any analytics? When did we actually kind of break something down and really mm. start to use the data to drive changes in performance? And and it probably wasn't until sort of 2011, um, towards the end of that 2011-12 season, where we started to think, what else is out there? And obviously, we were aware of Opta. But as I said, it was very much from the media space. Mm. It was... What we saw on on Sky, it was what we'd seen. You know, I think maybe match of the day had started to use a little bit of it at that point potentially. Yeah, maybe not even at that maybe point. Maybe but yeah, I mean, as you say, so you you'd have seen it in newspapers, you'd seen it on exactly, Sky. Yeah. yeah. So you kind of knew the Opta brand, but you kind of always associated with media. And you know, let's face it, anyone who works or has worked in a professional game inside, you're very anti media mm-hmm. um you you don't want things to get out and and being associated with a media company at that time is was not a good thing you know it, it was uh there was a fear about discussing things with a media company and, and all that kind of stuff and you know those kind of fears probably are still there mm-hmm. um and and so the the converse I, I started conversations with with john um sort of towards 2012 and kind of uh, January, February of 2012, uh, we'd started hearing that, that this Opta Pro thing might happen. I remember coming to, to Waterloo very early on with a couple of the guys from Fulham just to find out what they yeah. were thinking and what was going on. And we were, you know, really impressed. It, it was kind of, compared to some of the other meetings we'd had with other uh, other um, data providers or analytics companies or, you know, these big tech companies we'd spoken to a lot mm. of, um we kind of we got on very well with you guys and that was a good start um and but it was kind of like we've got all this stuff and we think we could do something really exciting with it we're not quite sure what direction we're going to go in yeah but if you want to help us drive that direction then we'd love to be be a part of that and and we were really excited by that opportunity Mm. and i think that's kind of where it all started yeah completely that that marries completely with my experience from the the flip side of that really it was it was clear when i kind of walked in the building that that things were, were already changing you know i'm definitely not trying to state my claim to be the one that <laughs> the, the visionary that put that in place at all but i think it was fascinating watching that that change from the inside i think um uh yeah i mean certainly i think the first time i met you ben was um we went down to Fulham to we brought a few guys from the office to come and play a game of football at the training ground at, yeah. at uh, Mossberg Park you know I'm two months into this job thinking this is amazing <laughs> I'm getting paid to go and play football at Fulham's training ground this is phenomenal um, but, um, got but yeah spicy as well, oh, it did so, yeah yeah I'm not going to mention any names from our end who were yeah. flying into some tackles but anyway um, but yeah it was brilliant And but 
what was really clear from that and from other meetings with other clubs was that there was the, the penny was starting to drop, I think, you know, and yes, and there still are clubs that are more forward thinking than others, but the penny was starting to drop that actually there was this kind of, you know, cloud, cloud's obviously the wrong word in this context, but data sitting over there that actually, if you just get your hands on it in a way that maybe hadn't been done up to that point, there might be a great deal of value in it. And I think, um, as I say, that was something that had been recognised within Opta kind of you know, in the run up to, to that sort of period of time. So yeah, so 2012, I think, is certainly the from our perspective the kind of the, the kickoff point for all that. I mean, one of the interesting things, and we we still talk about this a lot um, as pro now, but at that point, one of the things that actually you know it was the thing that kind of um, made clubs and, and certainly us at Fulham at the time a, a bit afraid of working with Opta was this media thing. Mm. But actually, you guys were very clever. Um, um, you know, we we continue to try and do this a little bit. Um, was actually that was flipped on its head, mm. and the fact that media companies were using it, the fact that the betting companies were using it, meant that you know we we had to trust the fact that the data was accurate because yeah. it had to be. Uh, and we talk about this all the time with football clubs. You know, if we get this data wrong, we're not just messing up football clubs. No, we're, you know, we're screwing up Sky Sports. We're screwing up betting companies. You know, and. That level of accuracy, the level of detail, I mean, again, one of the things that um, really drew us in was the fact that you, Opta, at that time, Opta Pro, was so open to showing us how the collection process was done. Mm. And that's something that I think, uh, you know, I, I like to think that even now, that's something that really endears the Opta process to clubs because um, we're happy to discuss these things. We, you know, we make changes to our collection process every year now based on feedback from clubs and and we want them to come in and look at the collection and and I think actually that initial fear of you work with media companies so we don't want to work with you as a football club actually turned was turned on its head and and we recognize that the accuracy the you know the need to to really delve into detail when it was when it comes to Q&A and things like that <coughs> you've got to get it right and and that was you know, a really interesting thing for us to, to see. Yeah, and there's there's arguably a, um, I think you're absolutely, so that kind of, that marrying of the, you know, what works for media will actually also work for clubs, and, you know, fit really nicely. And then, again, that period of time when I, when, you know, when I arrived and kind of started to assess what that landscape looked like, the kind of the third bit was around this really, really early stages of what we now term, inverted commas, the community, you know, there were other people out there that were interested in this stuff as well, you know, that weren't in a club or working at a data company. And that, you know, that wasn't something that had ever really been in, in football. I mean, yes, it happened loads in other sports. You, yeah, know, yeah. you know, you look at baseball, ice hockey, basketball to an extent. Like, yeah, absolutely. Basketball at that point, thinking about it. But less so in football. And that was just starting to happen. So around that time, you know, you had the likes of, um, well, Chris Anderson was obviously very, um, you know, vocal and very... Um, uh, was, was was blogging and, and writing these articles, and we're thinking, you know, this is this is a professor from Ithaca, you know, writing about football. This is amazing. You know, why are these people interested in this sort of stuff? Uh, Omar Hamilton. Chowdhury was one as well. Sorry, sorry. Omar Chowdhury. Yeah, Omar. Yeah, it's a very good point actually. Yeah, Omar did was doing some very early work. I remember meeting with him uh, very early on. Um, yeah, this is, again part of my role was meeting with these guys and getting them into the office. Paul Riley, I remember coming in very early on. Um, but others that were writing, uh, James Grayson, one springs to mind, Howard Hamilton, um, a few, you know, very early stages of what grew into this this much broader community. And that allowed, again, that reassured us and allowed us to see that, you know, this stuff is, is 
really interesting. And there's a definite kind of world out there that isn't um, that hadn't previously factored into our thinking, I guess. And that leads me quite nicely into so a year after OptiPro was founded was the first OptiPro Analytics Forum. Mm. So um, do you want to talk about how that discussion even started? How you managed to sell that in not only internally but to the to the football clubs because for something so new that must have been not easy to be convinced that there is this world that you can learn from that you probably know nothing about at the moment how, how did that process work for you how did how did that even happen don't listen to what anybody said it was all my idea and I did the whole thing. <laughs> uh, no so the process happened was um i actually vividly remember we were sitting around in the old waterloo office around having some lunch and chatting with again it was sam green and uh matt drew who still works here at perform as well and we were just chatting about the fact that you know we should be the ones to kind of you know, introduce these two worlds. You know, how do we get them together? And I think it kind of was left at that. You know, we, we need to be thinking about this. But it, was, it sparked something in my mind. And so I kind of went away and wrote a bit of a proposal around how it could work around an event, kind of semi-presented it to um, a couple of people in the organisation um, who, uh, I don't know, the, the reaction was they kind of could see the value, but at the same time were worried it was going to be too kind of faux academic or we were trying to be like a kind of peer review sort of system. And it was... You know, we didn't have the a the kind of academic credibility or the kind of the credentials to be able to do that really. So, I had I spent quite a lot of time thinking about how it would work in practice and how it, we could reassure people that we're not trying to be a you know we're not trying to start a journal here. All we're trying to do is get two disparate groups of people that have mutual interests in the same room really. Um, so that's kind of how I sold it really. So I was given a little bit of budget to go off and make it happen. Um, uh, it was a uh, fairly nerve-wracking process. I remember um, sending data out to some of the first people that were due to present. I'd say that it was probably a mid-February thing, I think, top of my head. I remember Christmas Eve sending some data to Colin Trainer was one, actually, that I remember <laughs> was due to present on, on that first one. Um, yeah, so again, you know, because this thing wasn't, it, it wasn't something that people understood, you know, I had to go through a load of hoops to actually get the data from people out of the database and say, look, look no, no, you know, it's fine. It's not just disappearing into the ether. This is being used for uh, our own purposes, etc." cetera. Um, but it was brilliant. I, you know, I that first forum was a massive buzz, despite the fact there's a tube strike on the day. Uh, you know, seeing the guys from the clubs walking into the room, getting the buy-in. I mean, the judges we had, so the likes of Ian Graham at Liverpool, who's still judging now and has been a massive supporter of this, um, you know, without his sort of, you know, a person of his sort of influence buying into this sort of thing, I'd have really struggled, you know. Um, Blake, who just founded 21st Club at that point, had moved from our, you know, inverted commas, arch-rivals pro zone, you know, had started 21st Club. The fact that he was engaged and wanted to be part of this was, was really good for me. Chris Anderson again, uh, Sam internally, and I'm missing somebody else who uh, I massively apologise to. I can't remember who the first judge was. Maybe Devin at that okay. point, actually. Probably just joined. Yeah. Probably just joined up, so he was a judge as well. Um, yeah, so as I say, it was this relatively small room, downstairs basement. As I said, I've been given a very small budget to be able to run it. Um, but it was great. And then we went to the pub afterwards and we had a really, really good time. And, I, you know, listen, I think the, the challenge is of that first forum is still absolutely valid for the fact we've done five now, I think. Uh, we've done four, yeah. Done four, will be five next year. And this, it still is making sure that the right conversations are happening, really, I think. And, um, you know, it's something we've really been aware of. It's something we try to tweak the rules of engagement a little bit to kind of help do that. But actually, you know what? Even if people aren't asking the right questions of the panel, of the people speaking during it, at least then there's 
you know, the opportunity to speak, as I say, in the pub afterwards or during the meal breaks, etc., etc. So, I, you know, it all stemmed from this idea that these two groups of people had mutual, mutually beneficial interests. They'd both been fairly sceptical about the other party, I think, previously. Certainly on the club side, there was this scepticism about, you know, why are these people sitting in their bedrooms writing about football, you know? What do they know? Uh, at the same time, people in the bedrooms, the bloggers, were probably thinking... You know, these guys in clubs know absolutely nothing. You know, what are they doing? They're spending, they're wasting their time. They're spending their time transcribing video, you know, data from video products and putting it into an Excel spreadsheet, and they know absolutely nothing about what they're doing. Spot. And I think, you know, trying to get those two parties together—that's what it's all about, really. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of the, the, the success of that. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I think it's still something that's still developing, really. But um, yeah, I think it's, it's been a big part, certainly. And. Ben, from your side, when you got that first invitation, when you first spoke with Simon and and John about it, how what were your first reactions? How did you think? What did you think about it? Well, I mean, at that point, I'd moved on to Reading um, and, and gone into recruitment roles, so it was actually you know, super, almost the perfect storm, really, because at that point we were um, set, essentially setting up a technical scouting department mm. um, and trying to to do a data-driven recruitment process at a newly promoted Premier League club. Um, so we were battling with all sorts of things uh, in terms of trying to get this process set up, trying to get buy-in from people, trying to think outside the box about how, as a, you know, a Reading, a, a small Premier League club, could compete at that level. And, you know, I'd made the decision when I moved to Reading to, to take Opta with me mm. as, as such and, you know, to take Opta Pro as part of our... Uh, to, to be the, the data provider and the product provider. And and then, you know, was chatting to John and, and, and you, sign and, and you sort of told me about this event. And I thought, sounds like a great way to get out of the training ground for a day. <laughs> um, you know, because you don't get that opportunity very often. So, and if we can chat about data for a bit, then that sounds all right. Um, and yeah, I mean, as you said, Ty, there's a tube strike. We were in some basement with no air conditioning and it was, you know, pretty drab. Um, but it was absolutely fascinating because I have to admit at that point, and to be honest, until even until I, I joined Doctor Pro um, a year ago, I don't think I quite realized what this community looked like mm. and how vast it was mm. and how engaged they are and how passionate they are about this and, um, and how how big an impact they can have on this industry mm. um you know at that point it was a couple of presentations it was um you know some a lot of maths a lot of a lot of science um and you know that that wasn't what football analytics was about you know football analytics from our perspective in clubs was was trying to use data to support the process which it still is now um but it wasn't about building models it wasn't about trying to do expected goals and things like that at that point it was it was about trying to just make some smarter decisions to have some facts to back yep. up what we were trying to do but it was still all you know it was um video driven it was live scouting it was that kind of thing and you know, i don't other than some of the bigger clubs i think that was generally still the process and that's, that's, and that's it and, but i think that's a really important point and i think it's something that still happens to an extent today where i think you have to go into it with an open mind i think there are 
arguably still some clubs that arrive at the forum expecting to be able to write down a few notes in the notebook, take them back and be able to implement the next day. Yeah. That's not really what it's about. You know, well, it's not at all what it's about, really. It's about having this kind of, you know, it's broadening your mind about kind of what is possible and what could be possible if the club was willing to take a step back and invest and, you know, think strategically long term about what it, you know, might want to become. And I think, um, you know, this happens after every forum where we get to this sense of, well, you know, you, you know, you speak to the club. Well, you know, yeah, I thought it was really interesting, but you know, I don't know. I'm not sure, I'm really sure what I can take away from yeah, it. Yeah. You know, it's like, well, if you take a step back and actually think about, it's less about going, oh, that was a really good point he made. Oh, that's something that really helped me here. It's actually more about Christ. This is a massive field. You know, this is fascinating. You know, you know, who are the type of people that we should be speaking to that could further enhance our understanding of this area? You know, all that sort of thing. And um, it's definitely the ideas thing. It, yeah. it's. it's you know, and I think something we have done over the last probably two forums um, that I, certainly I've been involved with is is trying to take it away a little bit from the the really heavy maths and, yeah, and yeah, trying yeah. to get you know certainly to get the speakers who you know the, the guys who present ha- don't get a lot of time and they have to run all these regression models and build the, these these things very quickly and then you know understandably they want to say how well how much they've done and, and mm. how good they are at doing it and you know as as people from clubs or, or even now i'm still blown away by what these guys are capable of doing from a, a scientific statistical mm. side but the, the point is is that you're not you're not always going to understand all that uh, and we've we have done well to kind of strip that back a little bit but it is about saying you know what is the idea that I can take away? What is the kind of general concepts that we're trying to achieve here? It's going to be different at every club. Every club's got different resources. Every club's got mm-hmm. different amount of data, mm-hmm. you know, different level of data. Um, time is an issue for analysts, and we, and we always talk about that. So how can we take one idea away from the forum that would slightly change the way we look at the game? Mm. And that certainly was how I felt when I came away from the first forum. And related to that, the other thing that I think I have appreciated having worked within kind of this world for a bit is that you know I understand entirely the kind of you occasionally see these frustrations levied that clubs are slow, slow, so slow to move you know they don't you know don't embrace new ideas quick enough etc but actually I think what I understand more now is that from a club perspective you know we talk about Pro being going for five years that's really only five windows of opportunity to make significant changes to your structure because it's very rare, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's very rare that a club would make significant structural changes mid-season in the backroom team. It's much more around, right, we're coming up to a close season now. This is an opportunity to actually step back and take a step back and think about what we're going to do. So really, it's only you know yeah. five steps, if that makes sense. And we're talking about five summers, yeah, essentially. Exactly. Yeah. Because the only time we ever got the opportunity to do any kind of long-term projects, any kind of out-of-the-box thinking, was towards the end of the season and into the summer and, yeah. and during pre-season because uh, the rest of the season you, you're playing games constantly whether you're you know, at Fulham at the time we're a, a Premier League Europa League club so we're playing Saturday, Thursday every week Sunday, Thursday every week and then if you're a championship club you're playing mm-hmm. Saturday, Tuesday there's, there's no time to do this stuff and even if you're a technical scout or, or working in the scouting department you're at games every single day mm. Um, so you're traveling to Europe to watch watch games. So which which clubs? I mean, you mentioned obviously the bigger clubs as being yeah. good examples because they do have the resources and have those those teams in place or those people in place that are actively 
stepping yeah. back and thinking about it. I mean, what proportion, say, the Premier League would actually have those type of people in place? You're probably only looking 25% yeah, max. Yeah, even yeah. now, I think. Um, and because even for the for the bigger clubs, there's, there's huge time pressures and, mm. and there's still you know, the need to find something to win now. I mean, mm. probably even more for those clubs, you know, the, the Champions League clubs, they have to win now. They have to win every game to, to compete. And, and even those technical guys who are working in the background maybe their jobs is to kind of look a bit more long term they still get dragged into the, the mire of competing every day so mm. yeah I think that's really is one of really underappreciated aspects of performing this analysis this style of work is the time limitations yeah. the two games a week the travel the the players ability even to to implement on a training ground with a coach these things aren't, if you're playing two times a week, the time just isn't there. It's not even that as well. It's uh, And this is one of the things that Optic Pro gave us, um, certainly at Reading and, and early, you know, early days at Fulham, was the ability to help us answer the questions that you constantly get from coaching staff mm. every single day. Mm. And it is, you know, it's going to clubs now, you know, it's still the same. Ad hoc requests are the biggest, the manager coming down the stairs and popping into the office and saying, I've had this idea. Can you just have a, <laughs> have a think about this? I've, I've actually got a really good anecdote that relates to that, which is around, so again, probably 2013, 14, I think probably was. Um, anyway, we did these, create these wall planners. So we, you know, we did, we create these wall planners that we sent out to every club that had some kind of analysis down the sides around, you know, which teams in Europe are most, uh, you know, there's probably some expected goal stuff on there, but also most effective in possession, you know, limiting opposition possession, most, uh, all the best in the best. And the other one we had was kind of set-piece efficiency. And that was around kind of which team in Europe was was best at set-pieces, objectively, and which team was worst. And also both offensively and defensively. Uh, I had a really good uh, anecdote from one club where, um, I, I don't know whether it's a name or not, I'm not going to this stage, the manager walked in, was looking at this wall panel, and he said, you're looking at the set piece efficiency. And he said, oh, right, top of my head, I think it's by Leverkusen who are the top in, in, in Europe. And he went, oh, what are they doing that's so different? And so him and the technical analyst, video analyst, sat down using the Optipro tool, actually looked at every single set piece that that team had, or by Leverkusen had scored from and conceded from over the course of the season. The first game the following season had adjusted their set piece strategy to match what they were doing. And they scored in the first game of the season from a set piece, and it's, it's those sort of little wins that you hear back about that makes you think. Actually, you know, we're you know, I mean, listen, you know, that's a tiny, tiny example, but that was a it was a great uh, a great experience, and one where we were able to tell our graphic designer that he'd scored a goal in the championship. I think that's a really nice place to uh, to finish for this part. We'll be back for part two to look more at how we've um, buying with players and looking uh, back to the data science role that's coming more and more into play, and. Um, and the future, what's next for not only OptiPro, but for this industry as a whole. Welcome back to Three at the Back. So we're going to begin part two by looking at the the involvement and the influence of data scientists within football and, and how that initially came about from 2012. So, Sai, you mentioned Sam Green and his recruitment earlier. So if you could just tell us a bit more about about the impact Sam had, um, not only on Octopro, but also the professional game and how that almost opened further doors within the analytics community. Yeah, so I mean, as I mentioned earlier, so Sam was hired before I arrived. I think it was it was 
it was a hire that uh, Rob Bateman uh, and John Coulson were, were actively looking for um, uh, because of this recognition that actually we were sitting on a treasure trove of data and we needed somebody to actually do more with it, it with it than was possible through you know your standard Excel spreadsheet etc. So um, they spent a long time trying to recruit him, uh, got him in the building, uh, and I remember before I started being in communication with a couple of people up to around kind of you know, what my role was going to entail, that sort of thing. I remember somebody saying, you should see his notebook. It's something like something out of Goodwill Hunting. Um, and yeah, and so, so he was, he was, he, he made my life a lot easier and a lot harder in many, many different ways. Uh, Sam's a fascinating guy. He, um, getting him to stop thinking about cricket and baseball and start thinking about football is sometimes a challenge, but he would, you know, the stuff he was coming up with was phenomenal. You know, he was the first person to publish certainly in blog format, uh, around kind of what we know now as expected goals. Um, I remember publishing that article and the volume of traffic we got looking at it, you know, it was getting kind of posted all over the place, was was really exciting. And I think that was when it really clicked with me that actually we were onto something quite interesting here. So, yeah, so so having him in the building was, was, was brilliant. I think the ability to then take Sam and then subsequent data scientists, so Devin, Johannes, uh, Tom and Sam as well, uh, to see clubs, clients, actually let them talk about what it is they're working on and what they can do. It probably, and you will probably have found this, Ben, is it probably helps reassure people about what it is was they were working on. I think, again, I go back to the point, part of the reason that Sam was hired as the first one was he was able to stand up and talk about football, the sport, in a way that showed he had understanding of what was happening on the pitch without kind of having to rely on the data. He was engaging. He was somebody that was intuitive enough to understand when there was scepticism in the room, etc. And um, he he was able to go above and beyond what our traditional ability to talk about counting metrics with these clubs and explain the value of what it was he was able to create, really. So, yeah, it made, it made a huge difference. Yeah. And ben, from your side of the fence, how, how was those first interactions? What were your initial thoughts and how did you um, come to work with Sam and, and Octopro on this side of things? So yeah, I met Sam again very early on um, when we first came into the Waterloo office. I can't remember whether Sam played in that game or not, but he must have been around at that time. And I think, you know, Sam's a very likeable guy. Uh, he's very easy to talk to. You always know when you're talking to Sam that there's this huge amount of intelligence going on in the background. It's the same with our data scientists now. Um, you always wonder what they're really thinking about <laughs> you when you talk to them. Um, but what was great with Sam when we sat down with him um, was that we were able to start talking about ideas that were generally very tactically driven, very um, coach-led mm. kind of ideas that we as analysts listen to every single day from these coaches. And you know, at that, at that point, it was very difficult to think how we could use data to uh, reflect some of these tactical ideas. Uh, and that was a real challenge. And I think what we were able to do with Sam was say, you know, our coaches are constantly talking about this idea and we've tried this and we've looked at ways we can kind of show, um, use data to show this, but what are, you, what are your thoughts? Um, and, you know, I remember him trying to explain expected goals to me at that point. I'm thinking, I, you know, I was thinking I've got no idea what he's talking about. Um, but that was before, you know, the evolution of expected goals and that was early, very early days to what it is now. But, that whole concept of essentially what expected goals is and what a lot of these new metrics are is, is trying to describe things that we've always talked about in the mm. game. You know, expected goals is about quality of chances. And that's something that every 
football coach in the world talks about to his team every single week. Mm. So that was what was really exciting about the data science and and Sam and, and the guys that have, have followed him is that you can talk about general football concepts and the challenges that these guys have as analysts and, and recruitment staff in trying to put this these ideas across the managers. And these guys can go away and do whatever they do and come back with something that actually reflects these mm. these things in the game. So that was that was something that, along with the forum, really kind of opened my eyes to what was going to be possible with data. Yeah, definitely. And I think it, you know it was also really important because it gave us credibility. I think if you know if we hadn't we if we hadn't gone down that route and you know somebody else would have done it. That's the thing. And I think that um, you know it was the business was perceptive enough to understand that this was important and we were needed to get somebody in, but crucially the right sort of person, really, I think. And how did how did Sam's work, you mentioned the Expected Goals blog, the initial introduction of that, how did that strengthen OptiPro's ties with the analytics community? Well, again, so so the, the part of the, the remit I had was to create the OptiPro website and use that as almost a bit of a hub for some of the best writing out there. So it wasn't just Sam that was writing for it, mainly because it took him three months to write a bloody blog. But anyway, um, it, it was, uh, you know, I was able to then put his stuff up there, but also invite guest contributors. I remember Ted Knutson writing, sorry, Ted, Ted Knutson writing uh, a very early guest blog. Um, uh, Ravi. Ravi wrote a very early guest blog as well, absolutely. So um, that allowed us to do that. And also we had a, um, an area on the site where we just curated the best stuff that was being written out there. Um, Sorry, I should probably specify, that's Ravi Raminani, isn't it, who's now Seattle Sounders. So initially yeah. from the blogging world, from worked at Microsoft before, and then moved into... That's right, so Ravi was somebody, actually, so that's something else we probably should have touched on as well from the early days of Optipro, uh, is Ravi was somebody that actually I got to know through the course of the first MCFC analytics project. And... He really went to town and really kind of made the most of the data that was released as part of that and blogged and showcased his abilities and, yeah, you know, got a gig with Seattle partly off the, off the back of that, really. And the, the first MCSE analytics project, um, would you like just to talk about that briefly to um, yeah, that share was, what happened there? It was uh, it was something that, that, that City were really keen to do uh, and we thought, yeah, you know, what harm's in, you know, no <laughs> harm in that at all. It'll be absolutely fine. Listen, we'll probably get 20, 50 people, something like that. And that was just downloading uh, the data available, to, available data for the for the public. For the previous season, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, so a big Excel spreadsheet of basically, you know, there wasn't any positional stuff in there, but it was basically count numbers from every, yeah, every player, yeah. every action, etc. previous season. I think we got to about 6,000 downloads in the first week or something like that. And I was called into a couple of offices and said, <laughs> uh, what's oh, going yeah. on? Helpfully, John was away on holiday, as he tended to be. And uh, so uh, that's, that's a joke. But um, he, um, yeah, it was a fairly scary bit. But the, the, what was brilliant was that from the very senior people within Opta at that time, I got a huge amount of backing for it. It generated excellent PR coverage from our perspective. It, again, opened everybody's eyes about the scale of this Again, I'm going to use the word, but community out there are people that are interested in this stuff. You know, we thought we were this little office of people in Waterloo that were just bothered by this stuff. It turned out there were people all around the world that, you know, wanted to be doing more in this area. And I believe Lee Mooney was another who engaged in, in this yeah, project. Again, Lee Mooney was a very good shout. I mean, lots of people did. It was brilliant. We, you know, I got to speak to a load of um, really in, well now influential and then influential bloggers off the back of that that uh, that uh, uh, project really so yeah it was, it was really exciting and and almost bringing it back now so we've seen the more sophisticated technical analytical side of the game how did how did that work with coaches with managers with players how did that 
your experience, Simon and Ben? How did how did that work for you when data was being introduced to the team in this way? I don't think we should pretend that um, you know 2012 was the birth of data analytics, no. and, and it certainly wasn't in the in the pro space. You know, we we've been using data. You know, you know, I'll mention them again. You know, ProZone have been around for probably. 10 years prior to yeah. you know, prior to that and and um you know my first involvement in in data um was was through you know self data collection uh, at Everton but also you know the project platform and so you know data was there and clubs and players knew about it but there wasn't as much engagement there was it was kind of just there as a thing that you used in your reports and kind of got looked at occasionally but you know we weren't we weren't using it to the extent that it was really having an impact on performance. But it got to, it was getting to the point, certainly in my time at Fulham, where the players were engaging more and more. We had, um, we had our analyst office was on the players' corridor at Motspur Park. And so they would come in, we'd have two um, computers set up where the players could come in and look at the, the data from the week's game. You know, generally it was players looking to see whether they'd um, how much distance they'd covered and all that kind of stuff because they just wanted to compete with each other and <laughs> that kind of thing. It's what footballs are like. But but there was a good group of players at that point and, and uh, uh, clubs after that that I worked with that really wanted to engage in that process and help them improve performance and look at their their opposite number in, in a game. And, um, you know, that really started to, to kick on. And I think it was when, for me, it was when I went to Reading and we said... Right, we can set up a scouting department with limited resources, certainly in Europe, to have it driven by data, uh, and because really that's the only way we're going to be able to compete. And that's really when things started to change for me. Um, and I think one of the, the um, kind of really cool anecdotes that we use quite a bit when we're talking about this, certainly with managers, is we were going through a process of, uh, of analysing our squad as a scouting department because we were looking at where the, where we felt we were going to need to replace um, players, how we felt players were um, playing together, where there were potentially gaps where we would want to fill in the January, January transfer window. And we were going through this process and I, I'd done this, this project looking at every player, comparing him to other players in the league, how the players were, were playing together. Uh, and it was all data-driven. And I was going through this process with our director of football, and Nick Hammond and, and Steve Head, our, our chief scout. And we were sat there going through player by player, breaking down how we compared in different areas to the league average and, and, and in our position groups. And the manager walked in. And I didn't, I didn't know he was there. I was just sat there with a the screen in front of me chatting away about these players. And he was stood behind me for probably 10 minutes before I realised he was there. And he just tapped me on the shoulder and he said, why haven't you come... Why, can we go and do this with the coaching staff? So we set aside uh, an afternoon. It was only supposed to be an hour or so. It ended up being about four hours. But we sat with the coaching staff and went through player by player. No video, just data. Mm. Just analysing strengths and weaknesses of every player. And that showed me how open-minded managers and coaches can be. If you present it in the right way. Um, and, you know, Nigel was fantastic in that and really wanted to to break it down and go through player by player. And that whole process was purely for recruitment. It was purely for analysing our own squad for recruitment processes. And it turned into something that he used as part of, um, we did it every te- um, every six weeks uh, from there. So th- that kind of anecdote is there as a to show that managers do buy into this process and, and really do engage with it. And players are the same, but you have to present it in the right way. 
I think that's a re- that's a really great anecdote. And Simon, on your side, it starts off slightly differently because you're a, a and this is a quote, a sad, lonely, something or another. <laughs> um, not not my words, uh, but you. And whose whose words are they? And, and tell us this story. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, family friendly version is probably sad, lonely, bedroom dwelling people, self lovers. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, how yeah, that's maybe the like nice that. way to put anyway, it. Anyway, that was our, our, you know your friend of mine, Joey Barton. Actually, that was off the back of there was a, a game that he played in where and I struggle to remember which club he was with at the time TPR at the time right there you go thank you so he'd the, you know we'd done a it, this is in the media we'd done a media release that, that that day we'd sent out the press packs as we normally would and it showed that Joey Barton's passing completion rate was really low you know he'd really struggled that day and he'd uh uh, yeah, and this was picked up by a couple of newspapers, and they reported on the fact. I think it must have been around the time he was going through a contract renewal or something. I'm not sure. Um, and he got quite upset by this, and he tweeted the fact that everybody at Opta was, as I said, you know, was uh, you know enjoyed staying in the bedrooms. Um, we're like, all right, fine, yeah, cheers, Joey, good stuff. But then actually, it was it wasn't immediately afterwards, but it was probably a year or so later. We actually he actually came into the office and was fantastic. He was lovely bloke fascinated by what we were doing um was just generally very engaged and very interested by it and i think um uh, by the whole process and i think uh, you know that clearly he's a larger than life character but they've, you know we've been fortunate enough to have a few you know fairly significant players come in as well as um now pundits and managers etc and that generally speaking has been the universal sort of um reaction really i remember one one where um robbie savage came in and uh I'm not going to do the accent. I was going to do that. I'm going to do the accent. But hey, Opta, hey, Opta, you've got this wrong. You've got this wrong. I never scored against, I can't remember which club it was. Maybe it was Spurs, something like that. And um, uh, we were able to show him, well, yes, Robbie, you did. You scored two penalties against them. And he's like, oh, all right, okay, yeah, right, fine. But, you know, everybody's reacted really well. I think there's a, I think there's generally been this perception that we're kind of a long way away from the players kind of, perceptions of, of their area of kind of what it is they're interested in but actually I don't think it is you know if somebody's recording data on you day in day out you're going to be interested in what they're saying really I yeah I mean I think you know that Joey story is interesting because um, I worked with Joey very briefly at Burnley um, brought him into the into the club and uh, you know Joey's a very analytical guy mm. uh, he's very serious about his performance he's very serious about improving still at this stage of his career and you know I've worked with a number of players like that who even towards the end of their careers they're they're wanting to know the the very minute details to improve their performances and you know Joey's a, a fitness freak and and he would hammer the sports scientists and I know when he came to the club at Burnley he'd had some a significant period of time not playing and he had to spend a lot of time with the sports science guys and they had to stop him you know from from running himself to the ground to mm. get fit and and it was trying to analyze all of the data that, that was was there to see where he was at and how close he was to playing and that kind of thing and I mean one of the things I know we're kind of going to move on to the, the sort of future and, and that kind of thing um, but one of the things I, I talk about a lot in terms of how analytics is going to progress and how data is going to move on is the fact that those players who are going to become coaches, uh, who are going to go into punditry, who, uh, you know, it was only towards the end of their careers. It's only been yeah. the last three or four years where they would have had data as part of their processes as players. Anybody before 2012, probably even before 2010, would never really have had data 
put put upon them as players. No, they'd have had a video that yeah, was probably exactly. driven by the data, but they wouldn't have had the. They wouldn't have seen data. Yeah. They wouldn't have had it as part of their processes. Um, and you know, we're now at the point where every player sees data every single day, whether it's physical data, whether it's tactical data, whether it's passing stats, whatever it is, it's used in every training ground, pretty much in, in world football now. And that means that this uh, generation of players who are now getting that every single day and I'm not just talking about football we're talking about cricket we're talking Mm -hmm. about rugby those players in those sports are now moving into coaching careers and will be implementing those processes into their work on a daily basis I think that's a really important point actually I mean yes clearly this is a football podcast but actually rugby the world is you know probably at least five years ahead of where we're in football because I mean you know, it, 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 it's an area where players have been used to seeing dashboards of their performance, which is based on data, for at least, I would say, well, probably close to 10 years or so. I yeah, thought, you look so. at the, the, the 2005 Lions tour, Clive Woodward, yeah. um, you know, uh, Reese Long, who's now um, at, the FA, at yeah. the FA now, but was um, an integral part of, of Welsh rugby's success over mm. the last 10, 15 years, uh, and, and certainly on the last few Lions tours. You know, rugby um, had to be ahead of the game in mm. data because it didn't have um, the budgets and the resources to, to, you know, buy data from a company. They had to generate it themselves. And so, you know, we're now at the point where, you know, with Opta, we work with, um, you know, a large portion of the professional rugby clubs in the world and, and they're incredibly forward-thinking, incredibly, um, you know, with the resources they have, which is still limited compared to football resources. Uh, and, you know, we're now getting involved uh, in cricket and the pro side of cricket. And, and I think, you know, that's an area where cricket is re- revolves around data um, and always has done for hundreds of years because everybody looks at a scorecard every day. But actually, data analytics is still probably, you know, the ECB have done some very good things. Cricket Australia do some good things. But it's still probably in its early stages in terms mm. of real data analytics in in any kind of form like we have at the forum in data science. And I think that's where the coaching staff, the players who are will move into coaching roles, will play an enormous part in this kind of buy-in process because they will have seen how it can impact their own performance. They will have seen how it can improve their team. Uh, how they can prepare for oppositions by using data. And that will only mean that they continue to ask more questions, probably better questions, more intelligent questions, harder questions for us to answer as a data Mm. company as to how we can answer uh, and help support them in these processes. So, you know, it's a fascinating world, but I think it is very much a generational thing. And I think that's what we're going to see over the next few years. I think that's a really, really nice way to talk about the future in general for this industry. We talk about the players, the people, the coaches that are coming into the next phase. We've speaking, spoken about what different sports are doing well. But in general, how do we see the different technologies, the different innovations that we've seen across not only football, not only sport, but perhaps in different industries altogether that can be well, brought in in what we see? Yeah, I mean, the world has changed dramatically, um, even in the last two to three years, I think it's fair to say. Um, you know, the, the number of different data sources that are now available. So obviously, you know, you know the, the Opta-style event data is still at the core of, uh, of kind of what we do and certainly what, what clubs are doing but then they also have access to optical tracking data from not just one company but several different companies 
wearable technology from a number of different companies. That wearable technology will have integrated accelerometers, will have, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a whole host of new data sources available now. So the key is actually it's access to data is, is now not an issue. It's much more about understanding the value of the different data sources and also understanding the best way of integrating those data sources. And I think that's 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 the, the key for the next few years, I think. Um, certainly from our end, you know, we're making a huge investment in our database technology and structure to allow us not only to ingest other types of data sources, to allow us to produce, you know, ever more, um, I was going to say complex, not complex. Richer? Richer data set. Exactly, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. But also as well, crucially, being able to deliver more advanced and applied metrics quicker. So, you know, being able to get a live read of, you know, when a shot's taken, being able to display its expected goals value on broadcast immediately is clearly it's important for us to be able to do that. And so that's the work we've been doing over the last couple of years, really. Um, so that, you know, in terms of the way the world is moving, that's that's fundamentally it, I think, really. Ben, I don't know from the pro side what your kind of perception yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, I think um, what you said at the start is probably the, the most interesting thing now is that it's not you know, in 2010, 2012, it was about getting hold of data. Mm. It's now about what the hell do you do with all this data? Yep. Um, as you said, you know, football clubs, rugby, cricket clubs now have uh, all this different type of training data. They have physical data, they have medical information, they have um, event data or matches, they have their own tactical self-collection data. And how do you integrate all that into a process how do you drive that through long-term trends through match-to-match preparation through recruitment processes um so the challenge is um i think now marrying up the advanced data analytics world these data scientists who have the capability of using all of this data from a raw perspective which you know we still um, work heavily on with clubs yep. on, on providing raw data but it's also about building intelligent platforms to mm. interrogate this data to match it up with video to um, use advanced metrics in a way that uh, will work for the coaches um, you know one of the biggest things for me is, is visualizing this data yep, you know, absolutely. whether it is the pro space where it's about visualizing data in a way that coaches and players can apply, can understand and apply directly to the performance or obviously the broadcast media world where it's about visualising in a way that, that fans can engage with and understand. And, and actually those two worlds are very similar. Yep. You know, it's it's how do we create better visualisations? How do we use these advanced metrics to apply to tactical situations? Uh, and that's the challenge moving forward. And I think integrating, you know, the, the hot topic is always about how you integrate physical tracking data with event data to describe the game better and that's a huge challenge but there's still a lot we can do with those data sources separately um, there's a lot more that we can do with training data to how mm. we can track a player's performances in training to how that relates into, into game performance um, so the real challenge is what we do with this huge data source uh, data set now and, and how we apply it particularly from the pro perspective how we apply it tactically Excellent. I think that's that's a really nice way to, to finish up and a really nice nice challenge, I suppose, as well, to look at how we work with all this data and and those next steps within sports analytics. So thank you very much, Simon, for joining us. We really appreciate you having with us. And Ben, thank you very much again for joining. And thank you very much for listening. I look Bye. forward to the next invite. <laughs> Give it an episode. <laughs> thank you very much. Cheers. Bye.